Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, obviously it's graduation Sunday. Uh, We celebrate our graduates and, and we understand that nobody ever graduates high school alone. We know that the student did the work, the student showed up to class, but we also know that there's a support system in place with mom and dad, aunt, uncle, grandmama, granddaddy, friends, Sunday school teachers, uh, people that led them as students. And so I want to thank you for all the work you put in with these students today, all the work you've put in over the years. I know many of you have been involved in their lives, whether it's teaching them Sunday school or working with them on a Wednesday night or just loving them and praying with them through the process. Uh, We thank you for that. We celebrate with you and, and with these families Today and, and we know that the next several years for these graduates uh, really matter. In fact, if you start thinking about life between the age of about 18 and 25, a lot happens. A lot of major decisions take place in that area. Decisions about college and career, uh, spouse, marriage, you kind of know how that goes. And so I would just encourage you as you see these kids today, uh, just let them know you love them. Let them know you're thankful for what God has done, but be mindful of them in prayer. Uh, Be mindful of their families. They need prayer, uh, especially as they go off to college. And as you probably know, college is very different for them than it was for a lot of us. The influences of college, the influences of professors that may not be as um, interested in the things of the Lord as you are or as your student uh, may be. So we pray for them and ask the Lord to bless them. It's always neat to me how the Lord kind of puts the right passage of scripture in place at the right time. And, and if you're new this morning, hadn't been with us for a while, if you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. But we've been walking through the book of Philippians. Verse by verse, we've been studying and trying to understand how to live and, and how to think. And I think the passages of scripture we're going to study this morning are perfect for our graduates, perfect for us as we try to understand more about who Christ is, <coughs> excuse me, perfect to try to understand more about what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. And I love studying through Paul because he kind of builds on ideas and he builds on theology and he gives us very practical ways to understand this teaching. And so Paul has been talking about and thinking about and helping us understand the foundation of Christ. Last week we talked about Jesus being fully God and fully man. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but we would say biblically that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. And so when we see this kind of fleshed out in his life, what we see is that Jesus was a mediator for us. He kind of stood in the gap between God the Father and sinful man. And because of what Christ accomplished, he bridged that gap. And he offered us through his sacrifice on the cross, this ability to have salvation in him. So Paul is saying to us, listen, all that Jesus has given, all that he's sacrificed, because of all that he's done, we now as believers are called to live differently, okay? 
Because of what Jesus has given, because of what he sacrificed, we should think differently, we should act differently, we should live differently. So he begins this morning, we're in, second, we're in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. He begins with the word, therefore, because of what Christ has done, because of what he's accomplished, therefore, my beloved. These are the people that he cared deeply about, the church at Philippi. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now. Not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, there's a lot in here. There's a lot of things we want to see, but let me just kind of give you this idea moving forward through these few verses that's going to be important for you to kind of get and grasp and hold on to. It's not a truth that you're unfamiliar with, but it's one that we need to be reminded of. Our walk in Christ should constantly be changing and growing. There's this sense all through Scripture that as a follower of Jesus, you should be growing in your faith. You shouldn't be stagnant. You shouldn't look the same uh, this week as you did a year ago or five or ten years ago. You should look back on your life and see steady, slow growth, right? Slow and steady wins the race kind of idea a little bit at a time. We're growing. We're being challenged in our walk. And so the first truth I want you to see this morning ties right into that idea Right out of this scripture, point number one, our obedience to Christ leads us to grow in him. Our obedience to Christ leads us to grow in him. We have, as followers of Jesus, a responsibility to obey the teaching of God's word. Now, we're going to see two different ideas here in just a few minutes. We're going to see two different ideas. We're going to kind of compare them and contrast them. The first one is we have a responsibility. The second one is God's responsibility. We're going to hit his responsibility here in just a few minutes. But I want to begin with this idea and begin with this challenge that you have a responsibility to obey Christ and to grow in your faith. Now, I want you to look here, uh, beginning in verse 12, at something that Paul says, because I don't want there to be any confusion. I want you to understand exactly what he's getting at here. Now, the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, there's that idea of obedience, right? So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now, this next phrase is interesting. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let's talk about what this means. I don't want there to be any confusion here in verse 12. I don't want you to walk away with a misunderstanding of Scripture. And I'll say what I said a few weeks ago. Anytime you interpret the Bible, you need to do it in light of the rest of the Bible. It's very easy for you to take one verse, pull it out of context, and build a doctrine that may or may not be true. 
And so when you read that one verse, if you just read this one verse outside the context of Philippians or really the whole writing of the New Testament, you may be confused in thinking that your salvation is in some way related to your work. Now, Paul is not saying here you work for your salvation, right? In fact, if you were to go back and read other parts of the New Testament, Paul would say this is exactly the opposite of how we receive salvation. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 8, says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Watch verse 9. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So we would say biblically, listen, there's nothing you can do to work for your salvation. I think there's a lot of confusion sometimes with Christians as they try to understand what salvation means and how it works. And I think a lot of people see their walk with Christ as this giant scale. Like the more good things I do, the scale is kind of weighted in my favor. Then I do a few bad things, have a bad, some bad thoughts, say some things I shouldn't say, and it's tipped in the other direction. And we hope that one day when we get to heaven, we'll have more good things than bad things that outweigh uh, what we've done in this life. And God will see that and be pleased with us and let us into heaven. You need to understand that's not what's actually going to happen. There's no grand scale of salvation. Salvation is a free gift based on the grace of Christ, right? You can't do anything to earn that. So Paul here is not saying you work for your salvation. He's saying you work out your salvation. What he means here and what he's getting at, we'll see in the passages that follow, is that we understand when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's the beginning of the journey for us. The rest of our life, we figure out how to live for him. We're working out our salvation. We're working through our growth. We're battling to become better. We're learning more about his word. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, understanding there's a greater calling in this life. And so we kind of come to this place where we begin to understand, listen, there's responsibility here in my obedience there's responsibility here as I work out my salvation. There's a responsibility here with this idea of fear and trembling, of understanding. There's a bigger picture at play. So Paul says, listen, it's not as if you just pray to receive Christ as a little kid. You say this prayer, and then there's nothing else required of you for the rest of your life until you die and go to heaven. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, listen, there's this process Accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior is the beginning. The rest of your life is growing in your faith. You do that by working out your salvation through fear, through trembling. You say, great, I get it. I've got a responsibility to obey. I've got a responsibility to grow. I've got a responsibility with fear and trembling to better understand who Christ is in my life and begin to live that out. But you say, I'm not quite sure how to do that. Because for a lot of people, they don't really know what to do growing their faith. And if I'm talking to you, I want you to kind of pay attention for the next few minutes because there's something important I want you to get. If you've never heard the phrase spiritual disciplines, let me explain it to you. Spiritual disciplines are things that we do in our lives, acts that we do that help us grow in our faith. Right? You may have the discipline of getting up every morning and working out. Or you may have the, the discipline of going outside at night and working in your garden. Or you've got the discipline of reading certain things to get better at work, right? Those are disciplines you've added to your life to help you in certain areas. There are spiritual disciplines as well. There are very specific things you can 
and should be doing on a regular basis to grow your faith. Now listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not interested in growing your faith, then you won't. If you're not interested in working out your salvation through fear and trembling, then you won't. If you're not interested in growing in Christ through obedience, then you won't, right? It begins with this idea, uh, we'll see in just a second, God's responsibility, but as far as our responsibility goes, it begins with this desire to love him more, to serve him more, to follow him more, and spiritual disciplines are one of the ways that you can do that. So there's kind of a list. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm going to give you just a few things that we would consider spiritual disciplines. These are things you need to add to your life, do them on a regular basis that will allow you to obey, allow you to grow, allow you to work out your salvation through fear and trembling. The first one, maybe the most important one, is what we would say are called Bible intake. And there are books written on spiritual disciplines. And if you're a reader or interested in delving more into this, I can recommend some books for you to read. But the first one, maybe the most vital, is biblical intake, Bible intake. Are you adding this into your life? Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you memorizing it? What are you doing in your life to add the scripture into what you're doing? What, what type of Bible intake are you bringing into your life? If you say, listen, I don't ever open my Bible. In fact, I've gotten to the point I don't even bring it at church anymore because you show it on the screen. I'm not interested in learning about it. Then you're not bringing scripture into your life. You're missing one of the foundational spiritual disciplines. If you really want to grow in your faith, if you really want to grow in your walk with Christ, set aside time each day. Make that a discipline of your life where you spend time on some level in God's word. Another very important spiritual discipline is prayer. Same idea. You should set aside time every day for prayer. Now listen, I get it. There are times in our life where we're so busy, things go on, and we kind of work all day. We get home, uh, eat dinner, do homework, get the kids in bed, and we're exhausted, and we're worn out. We've got a few minutes left, and we try to give the last couple minutes of the day to the Lord through a little bit of Bible study, a little bit of prayer. That's better than nothing, but I would say to you, you probably don't do that with other things in your life. Like the things that really matter, you give them priorities, right? That, that, job at work, that big job upcoming that your promotion is hinging upon, you don't wait till the last few moments of the day to think about that. You think about it first thing. You spend a lot of time thinking about it. You spend a lot of time working through it. We should have the same mindset with Bible intake, with prayer, with other spiritual disciplines. Here's some other spiritual disciplines. Worship. Right, we should gather together on a regular basis. <clears throat> and let me just say this. If you're at home watching, we're so excited you're watching with us. I know there's a lot of factors that lead people to tune in online. And if you are sick or unable to come, we're so glad you're with us. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you can come back and worship in person, you should. And if you're following us from somewhere, I know we got a lot of people that follow us from different parts of the state and even some people from overseas. Find a local church where you can plug in and be part of a community. That's what church is, right? Online is great. We're going to keep doing it. We think it's a wonderful ministry to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. But ultimately, the Bible teaches us we should be together in celebrate and community and worship together and fellowship, right? Those are spiritual disciplines. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, right? Fasting just means that you're not going to eat for a period of time, typically, in order to pray, you can fast from things other than food if you want to start there. 
But Jesus fasted. There's examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament of fasting. It's an opportunity for us to weaken ourselves physically in order to strengthen ourselves spiritually. You'll be amazed when you don't eat how hunger pains affect you. And you'll be amazed how reliant you are on food. And when you begin to feel those pains and realize I'm so reliant on food, Lord, help me to be a little more reliant on you, fasting begins to take effect in your life. It begins to change you. Solitude is a spiritual discipline. Solitude is one that I think is awfully important, but something we don't do a whole lot of. We're so busy with our world. We're so busy with our lives, we hardly have time to think about anything other than work or family or sports or school or whatever the case may be. And I would say to you, there ought to be times in your life when you take moments, hours, maybe even if possible, full days of solitude. I've had the opportunity in my ministry, I should do it more often. I learned about solitude really in seminary and studied a lot about it in seminary. So I've had opportunities over the years to take a day of solitude here or there. I've never regretted it. You always think, I've just got too much to do, man. I can't take a day of solitude. You can't not take a day of solitude, I'm just telling you. Because when you turn everything off, when you turn your phone off, and you walk out into the woods somewhere, maybe by yourself, or you go to a place where there's not going to be anybody around you, and it, it really is solitude, you'll be amazed at how you'll hear the voice of the Lord speak loudly to you through his word. When we just kind of tune out all the other things of life, God speaks. And so these are spiritual disciplines, right? These are things we ought to be doing on a regular basis as we work out our salvation through fear and trembling. It's the idea of a farmer. If you've ever planted a garden uh, or planted flowers or done some yard work, you understand that a garden doesn't grow itself. And we know there's certain things we have to do. And so you have to prepare the soil, you till it up, you put some lime in, you put some fertilizer in, eventually you, you plant the crops, then you water them, then you fertilize them again. Then as they grow to a certain point and the weeds come, you begin to pull the weeds out. Then you have to keep all the animals that also want to partake of your garden away. There's a lot of work that goes into a garden. But here's the connection point that leads us into kind of the next idea of Scripture. We understand that all the work we do, all the preparation, all the watering, all the fertilizer, still we ultimately rely on the Lord to grow the plants, don't we? Like there's nothing we can do to actually make the corn grow. We can get the ground ready, we can plant, we can fertilize, we can weed, we can keep the animals out, but there's nothing we do to actually make the corn grow, right? That's where the Lord comes in. I want you to see that passage. Bring verse 12 up again. I want you to notice what Paul shows us here, right? Our obedience to Christ leads us to growth. Look at verse 12. Pull that up for me. Let's take a look at what happens with this connection between what we do and what the Lord does. And I'm just going to keep on talking until the verse comes up and see if I can just keep talking without stopping it so it looks like it's a smooth transition. And there it is and you do have someone go back one we don't look at verse 12 so look here's what happens therefore my beloved as you've always obeyed so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence watch work out your own salvation with fear and trembling there's the idea we're preparing we're working spiritual disciplines we're ready to grow for it's god though who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure right salvation is god's idea right he's the author of our salvation 
And so there's this very interesting, very beautiful connection where God holds us responsible for our actions, but at the same time, he's the one that's working. It's his pleasure. It's his will in our lives. And so what we do is we say, Lord, listen, I'm going to work through these spiritual disciplines. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do everything to grow in my faith. And I'm going to believe and trust that you're going to be at work. I'm going to believe you're going to do great things. I'm going to prepare the soil. I'm going to fertilize the soil. I'm going to try to pull out the weeds. I'm going to try to keep the animals at bay that want to eat and destroy. I'm going to do everything I can. But Lord, I trust you to do the work of growth in my life. It's this beautiful connection. It's a beautiful picture of our responsibility and the sovereignty of the Lord working in us. And Paul says, listen, we we need to understand our responsibility. We need to understand how God works. And we need to understand that as we obey him, as we trust him, as we work out our salvation through fear and trembling, God then is going to cause us to grow. Now let's take a look at verse 14. I want to continue with this idea. Verse 14, maybe one we should all apply more to our lives. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's a great little passage right there. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Right? We've seen this idea of obedience to Christ. We've seen this idea kind of built into this of working out our salvation, spiritual disciplines, growing in the Lord. Here's the second truth I want you to see, number two this morning. As we grow in Christ, our light shines. As we grow in Christ, our light shines. Now I want you to notice verse 14 again. Let's pull up verse 14 and I want you to see it because I want you to notice what Paul actually says. It really would be nice If Paul had said something like this, do most things without grumbling or disputing. It'd be nice if Paul said, listen, you don't need to grumble. uh, You don't need to dispute except when people are mean to you. Then you can just be mad about it. It's okay. Or you don't need to grumble and dispute until your boss says something that's really wrong. Then you have a right to be mad and grumble. Or or you don't need to grumble and be mad until your teacher gives you too much homework. Or you kind of fill in the blank, right? We all have these moments. We're all kind of looking at each other, smiling a little bit. We all have these moments and these things that we like to grumble and complain about. And man, it feels good, doesn't it? Oh, it feels so good. Uh, I feel so good driving through LaGrange when people do dumb things driving just to complain about them. Just in the, the, the solitude of my own car, I'm just talking to them. What are you doing, man? Who taught you to drive? You know, when you pull uh, and you park on the big exit Chick-fil-A that says, do not park, do not stop, and you're parked on top of it, it doesn't take a whole lot of education. No, you shouldn't park there. So I'm talking to the guy, right? I'm grumbling, complaining. It feels so good, doesn't it? Oh, it feels so good. If Paul just said, listen, accept when somebody's being really stupid, don't grumble and complain. But that's not what he says. And so the, the truth of Scripture begins very slowly to kind of funnel into our lives. And we realize we're not to complain or grumble at any point, are we? Do all things without grumbling or complaining. And then notice what he says. When we do that, right, there's this idea of growth. We're growing in Christ. We're obeying. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're preparing the soil. God is at work. We're trying not to grumble and complain. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, 
children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Man, we, we live in a crooked and twisted generation, don't we? If this was true in the first century, it's certainly true now. But Paul says, listen, as we grow in our faith, as we trust Christ more, as we begin to understand that his salvation brings us holiness, right? We're blameless and innocent, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Right? When the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of Christ that covers us. He sees the sacrifice that Jesus made. Right, His righteousness is basically placed on top of us. So we're literally hiding behind the cross. It's beautiful. Right? We're holy and blameless. We're innocent children of God because of what Christ has done for us. But I want you to notice what happens when we do those things, when we grow, when we trust, when we obey, when we've accepted Christ, we're trying to live our lives without grumbling or complaining. We become people that shine. That's what Scripture says in verse 15. Shine as lights in the world. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that who you'd like to be? Don't you want to look different and think different? And when people see you, they notice something's up with you. It's just not the same as everybody else. You guys remember the uh, big eclipse a few years ago? You remember that? Where we all went outside for an hour or so, and we all put on glasses that we paid $2 for and really hoped they actually worked as we stared at the sun for 30 minutes. You remember that? You know, I'm, I'm staring at the sun. I'm like, I sure these glasses really work. Because if they don't, I'm in trouble. Right? I'm staring at the sun, looking at the eclipse. And I remember, and we had one when I was a kid, a full eclipse years and years ago. But the one just, a, what was it, two or three years ago? I just remember when the, when the uh, I guess it's the moon came across the sun, right? And darkened everything out. There's this moment where it goes from bright sun in the afternoon to almost night to bright sun again. It was bizarre, and it felt weird. I don't know if you remember that. It just felt strange, right? I'm looking at this knowing this is different. Something is strange. Something is weird about this. It's not the way it normally is. Listen, when somebody looks at you as a follower of Christ, if your light really is shining in the world, they need to look at you and go, man, something is different. Something is strange about this person, right? They're, they're kind of weird. Maybe they say that about you. But they notice that you're not the way everybody else is. You're not thinking like everybody else thinks. You're not acting like everybody else acts. In fact, it's such a major difference that the people of the world take note, right? You shine as lights in your little community. No, only in your house. No, only in your church. No, in the world. And when we're serious about our faith, when we're serious about growing in Christ, when we're serious about trusting him and living in a way that's different, we are lights that shine in the world. And when people see us, they know we're different. No question in their minds. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, same idea. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works Give glory to the Father who is in 
heaven, right? There's this sense of growth. There's this sense of trusting Christ. There's this sense of, of working through our salvation, understanding more about who he is, learning not to grumble and complain, learning to be more Christ-like. When we do that, our light shines. We look different. Everybody around us knows that something's up. Now, let's finish this thing up. I want you to look at verse 17 now. Pull verse 17 up because Paul's going to take a turn here that's going to be challenging for us. Philippians 2.17, this is Paul writing, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Truth number three, as our light shines, we find joy in sacrifice. As our light shines, shines, we find joy in sacrifice. Now, Paul uses some phrases here that are difficult. He uses phrases like poured out, drink offering, sacrificial. Maybe we would say in our modern uh, verbiage, something like we're going to give it our all. We're, we're going to leave it all on the field. Whatever phrase you want to use, Paul is clear here. He is willing to give everything for Jesus. Everything. Right, our problem is we like to keep a few things to ourselves. Right, I'm going to give you everything, Lord, as long as it's easy for me, as long as it doesn't really cost me anything. I'm going to, watch this, I'm going to give out of my abundance. I'm not going to give sacrificially. I'm going to give you enough stuff that I feel good about it and that it's helpful, but I'm not going to delve anything that's really going to cost me anything. Paul says, listen, I'm being poured out. Paul knew what was going to happen. Right, Paul had already been beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead, lied about. Now he's been put in prison. Paul understands. Paul knows that his time is drawing near. He knows he's going to be killed for his faith. He's going to become a martyr. We know that in church history. Paul understands the, the end is near. And he already says, listen, if I'm going to be poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, it'd be interesting for us if Paul said, listen, I'm struggling with this. It's hard for me. I don't like it. But instead what Paul says at the end of verse 17 is, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And it's easy for us to stop there and say, oh man, that guy's amazing. Paul's pretty incredible. I'm glad he wasn't talking to me until he gets to verse 18 and then he says this, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, we understand in our study of Scripture through Philippians and really in our study all through the New Testament that the Christian life ultimately is about sacrifice. In fact, Romans 12, 1 says it clearly. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The Bible teaches us we should be willing to sacrifice. We should be willing to give as we grow in our faith, as our light shines more and more. Not only should we be willing to give and sacrifice, but we should find great joy in doing it. We should find great pleasure in sacrificing ourselves for Christ. But you're not going to do that. Listen, that's the end of the road. You're not going to do that if back here at the beginning you haven't started this process of spiritual disciplines 
you haven't started this process of obedience. I promise you, when push comes to shove, when the difficult days arrive, when you're asked to sacrifice for Christ and find joy in it, if you haven't backed that up, if you haven't created under the foundation of that, this spiritual disciplines, this desire to grow, this obedience to Christ, you're not going to be able to sacrifice and you're certainly not going to find joy in it. And so there's this heart of preparation, this heart of study, this heart of growth. And so I would encourage you, if you've been a follower for a number of years, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a year or two or three or 10 or 20 or 40 or 50, whatever it is, you should take this to heart. What are you doing now to grow in your walk? What are you doing to obey What are you doing to look different or let your light shine? What are you doing to sacrifice for Christ? If you're not a follower of Christ, if you're watching from at home or overflow, or you're here with us right now and you never prayed to receive Christ, I pray this would be the moment. That's the beginning of the journey for you. To understand obedience, to understand forgiveness, to understand sacrifice. Our worship team is going to come out here in just a minute. They're going to sing. They're going to do a beautiful job of leading us in a time of worship. But I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to be down here. I'm going to be available to you. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. If you've been a believer for a number of years and you say, listen, I'd love to to learn more, to understand spiritual disciplines, to grow in my faith. Adam, I want to talk to you as well. I'm available for you as well. I just know God's got great plans for your life. All you need to do is trust him and allow him to work. All right, let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for the truth of this scripture. It's very clear, it's very compelling, very understanding, very understandable. Father, we just know that you have called us to great things. We know, Lord, there's responsibility in our lives to trust you, to serve you, to obey you, to grow in our walk, Father. But we know when we prepare the soul, you're the one that works. You're the author of our salvation. So Father, I pray for that beginning process of growth. Lord, I pray for some that they've been believers for a number of years, they would continue to grow. For those that have never accepted you, Lord, let this be the moment. And then as we grow, Father, help us to deepen our walk, to live more like Christ, to let our light shine, and eventually, Father, be willing to sacrifice with joy for your honor and for your glory. Use us, Lord, to accomplish great things, and we'll praise your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.